Welcome to the Mindset on Resilience podcast. I'm your host, Daniel True Love, and I'm so excited for the guests that we get the opportunity to learn from today. Uh, he is an educator through and through. Uh, for the last 20 years, uh, he spent his uh, blood, sweat, and tears um, dedicating it to students and families, um, educating them from roles of teacher, assistant principal, uh, principal, uh, you name it, he's probably done it. Uh, he's uh, served in every level of education, um, but he also has leveraged that uh, service and education uh, to get the opportunity to now uh, serve educators through speaking on different stages. Uh, so he goes to conferences, travels the entire world, uh, speaking to large audiences, small audiences, uh, just making sure that we're preparing all of our educators to go out there and make tremendous impact. He's an author as well of Inside the Principal's Office. Inside the Principal's Office, I believe it is. And so, uh, and it's a web series as well. Uh, if, I could, if I talked about everything that this man has done, uh, we wouldn't be having a podcast. Let me just say that. And so without further ado, uh, I am excited uh, to get this opportunity to talk to none other than my main man, Mr. Charles Williams. How you doing, man? Man, Daniel, uh, that was an incredible intro. I'm, I'm going to have to like just bring you on and be like, this, this guy's going to do my intros. But man, it, it is wonderful to connect with you. Looking forward to having this conversation. Thank you so much for providing a space for me to just share my story and the work that I do. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what this is for, is, is to you know share your journey. And uh, it was an honor just to be able to hear uh, about your journey and uh, for us to be able to uh, dive a little bit deeper into it uh, because uh, one of the things that I would actually like to um, start off with uh, is, is speaking about your podcast uh, because I feel like your podcast uh, and your personal story, uh, they're linked with each other. W would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, in, in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, the podcast is going to be uh, four years old this year. Uh, so, you know, it, it has legs. I, I just released episode... 195 so closing in on that 200 mark so you know very excited but you know i i think for me the the one of the reasons why i dropped this episode or this this podcast was this idea of having these conversations that to be honest i frankly got tired of hearing you know i would sit in these data meetings i would sit in these spaces and it was inevitable I already knew what was going to be said. I already knew the graphs that they were going to put up. They were going to talk about how the black and brown students in our districts were not performing and da 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 da. da. And I was just like, I'm tired of hearing that. Like, when are we going to have the conversations about what we are doing? Right? I mean, I can only imagine students sitting in spaces, teachers sitting in spaces, and constantly being told that the same students are not performing where they need to perform. Well, you begin to develop this deficit mindset, right? Even when my students were doing well, and this is the part that angered me, when my students were doing well, those conversations were not being had unless they were doing well out on the football field or on the basketball court. Then you want to talk about them, right? As if the students, my students, who won a rocket building competition from the west side of Chicago in the Austin neighborhood where we didn't even have a science curriculum beat out everybody else across the city, but suddenly we can't have that conversation because apparently little black girls can't do science, but you know, there's a whole movie about that, but that's, that's different. So what I wanted to do was create a podcast that said, you know what, I'm going to create a space, right? In my, in my, in my journey, 
I've learned that we oftentimes sit around waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jeffrey Canada, but he talks about that. His, he has that book, Waiting on Superman, and he says, Superman isn't coming. We need to stop sitting around and waiting because we are the saviors that we are waiting for. So instead of sitting around waiting for someone else to do something, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to start creating spaces. So I created the podcast to say, let's highlight these conversations. Let's push back. Let's present a whole different narrative that we often don't have. And whether that's celebrating student successes and highlighting that or saying, look, I know this is a popular conversation, but I'm going to push back on this because here's the reality, right? Or, or a different perspective. So I'm trying to create those safe spaces that have brave conversations and say, I'm not okay with this, right? I want to push back because so oftentimes we just go with the status quo and then we sit back and we wonder why hasn't education changed? So I was like, let's, let's do this podcast. That's awesome. So the podcast is called the counter narrative. And as you can see, um, he's talking about a, a different narrative than the one uh, that is often portrayed. And one of the things that I love about it is the fact that uh, there is a belief system that is uh, developed when you hear a narrative so often. And so if you hear that uh, can't, 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 won't, um, struggle, challenged, uh, difficult behavior, um, like hearing these things so many times, what it does, is it, it programs the mind uh, to believe that what we've shared so often is what it is. Uh, but when you now have this uh, counter narrative that also was shared out there just as much as the, the predominant, uh, the predominant narrative, then now it develops a new belief system. Um, what if, what if things can be different? Uh, what are uh, the things that are already different? Um, what are areas that we can be celebrating that we can highlight and that even for them, right, they can actually have something to believe in, something to celebrate within their lives. Just think if you actually took a kid and told them for them all their lives, they've done nothing good, nothing good, nothing good. And then you say, hey, I need you to excel. How likely is that to happen? Exactly, exactly. You know, and it, it, it's it's those narratives, right? Like I, I have a keynote coming up and in my research, one of the things that I found, right, that uh, uh, multilingual learners, right, our students who have learned English because they already have another language or maybe multiple other languages, more often than not outperform their monolingual peers. But we don't have that conversation, right? We, we want to, we, we oftentimes look at these students, right, these demographics, these marginalized students as, well, they're part of the problem. And it's like, they're actually outperforming, right? Or one of the ones I love when we talk about those achievement gaps, we always talk about how our, our Caucasian students are outperforming our black and brown students. And I'm like, you know, we're missing an entire demographic because oftentimes our Asian population is outperforming our Caucasian students. But we don't talk about an achievement gap there. Like, let's just have these conversations, right? And let's talk about the why behind it because we're so quick to talk about one gap, but we don't talk about the other gap, right? And so it, it's just let's have these conversations. And it's not about putting anybody down. It's not about, you know, creating a space of shame. It's about like, let's have some real honest conversations because we sit in these spaces and we keep talking about what's not working, but then next generation, we're talking about the same exact things and they're still not working because we, we're not really looking for solutions, right? So it's like, let's have these different conversations. Let's push back and maybe make some actual change. Yeah. And, and I think what conversations, any, any conversations you have, let's have the full conversation, right? So if we say that this is going on in this community, uh, but then we leave out 
a, a complete data set <laughs> as it relates to the same data, then that's not that's not a that's not an honest conversation that we're having. And so when I when I saw your podcast, I was so excited because man, I'm I'm a byproduct of uh, those labels, uh, and um, this is where I'm excited to get into your conversation. Youngest of eleven kids, grew up in a house of thirteen people. Uh, my uh, mom didn't uh, go to college. Dad uh, maybe stepped foot on the campus, but you know retreated uh, quickly. Um, but so high school educated parents in a house of thirteen, and so we were a lower uh, income family. And uh, you know, so there's a lot of labels and narratives that come with, coming from that you know that background. Uh, what will I be? What will I become? Um, and sometimes I lived up to those uh, labels because, uh, unfortunately, I had three of my siblings that passed away by the time I was 14. And so I didn't all the time respond in the right way to the different challenges and tra traumatic experiences that we've had. Um, but uh, a lot of times it can be what, well, this kid is this and this is what they are able to do and what they are going to become. And I just refuse to believe um, that that's the future for all of our babies that have nothing but genius potential inside of them. And I want to challenge everybody else that has a limited belief of, as it relates to them as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's, it's, you know, it's that conversation of that equal, you know, talent is equally distributed, but opportunities are not right. And when you, th when you think about that, right, there's a young black man living in this impoverished neighborhood, right? Big family, uneducated parent, like the narrative set and you're like, nah, like, I'm going to break that. I'm going to push back. And we don't have those conversations about the resilience. We don't have the conversations about the resourcefulness. We don't have those conversations and say, let's tap into that. Let's highlight that. Let's figure out what drives you, right, and, and have those conversations. We just want to talk about, well, what somebody isn't doing or what they're struggling with. And like you said, if that's all I ever hear, why even bother? Right, right. Well, I, I, the thing I love about that is that you have a lot of passion uh, for this topic and uh, the I, passion typically comes or has some type of uh, connectedness to experience. And so uh, will you tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey as it relates to education and uh, how you got to um, be the expert that you are um, as it relates to the topic or education in general? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think part of it is, you know, when, when people ask, right, like I, I did amazing in school and I, and I share that story. But what I learned is that I was only as, as amazing as I was because I fit the mold. I could read and remember. I could take that information, regurgitate it, spit it back out to you. I have a great memory, right? But that didn't mean that I was better than anybody else. It just meant that I fit what was designed as education. And what really bothered me was that my brother and some of my friends and peers, they struggled all throughout school. I'm like, they're not stupid. They're not like, like there's nothing wrong with them. They just learn in a different way or they, they have different strengths, but those things are not being captured in our traditional academic setting. And so when I became a teacher, one of the things that I wanted to do was to make sure like, how can I create a space where nobody felt that way? How can I make sure that every single one of my students was able to demonstrate that they understood and was successful, right? Later on, I learned that there was a word for that, which was equity, and I started doing that work. But at the time, all I knew was that I don't want any one of my students to feel like my brother did, to feel like my peers did. Right. On the other side of that, I also understood what it meant to be like I was on this underdog overdog roller coaster. Right. I was the shining star student, top of the class, academics, athletics. I did all the things February of my senior year. I mean, I had scholarships out the wazoo, right? Just 
February of my senior year, my girlfriend at the time said, look, um, I'm pregnant. Suddenly, I kid you not, Daniel, everybody's perception of me changed. Suddenly, the scholar went from, well, we're, we can't give you scholarships because you're going to spend your scholarships on diapers. And I was like, that's not how scholarships work. That's the grants and the loans that I ended up taking out, maxing out all of my student loans so I can take care of my children. But that's a whole nother story. But like, that's not how that worked. But all of a sudden, your perception and attitude about who I was, I didn't change. But your belief, my trajectory in your mind suddenly changed because you're like, here's another statistic. Here's another young black man who became a dad as a teenager. He's going, suddenly I became nothing, right? But here I am now running schools, traveling around, speaking and doing all this work because I was like, nah, that's not who I'm going to be. I'm, I'm going to push back. I became an administrator when I was 30. Same exact thing. I walked into that space and people are like, nah, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. You don't know any better. You don't have the skills. You don't have the knowledge, right? And so any little mistake I made was under the magnifying glass. Right. I could have made the same exact mistake as one of my veteran peers, and it would have just been chalked up to an accident. But for me, right, I remember, Daniel, one of the very first uh, lines in a newspaper, front page, Principal Charles Williams is in the hot seat. Like, they couldn't wait for me to make a mistake, right? Because here I was, this young, black, successful man, right, sitting in spaces that very few people look like me. I mean, we talk about us in education. We talk about that 2%. And that's at the teacher level, right? At the administration level, that number is even smaller. That's why in Chicago, we have this whole pipeline designed to get people that look like us in seats like this, right? Like people were just waiting, but here I am 10 years later running PD for principals across the district, across the state, across the country to say, look, like, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, you frowned upon me, but I'm not gonna let your definitions and perceptions about who I am or who I could be right? Define my, my, my outcome. So whenever I'm in those spaces, and I tell my students that all the time. I mean, I'm in, in the west side of Chicago, one of the roughest neighborhoods in the city, right? Students' trajectories are already defined for them. And I tell them each and every like that that's not true. And I talk about my experiences, right? Growing up without a father, right? Growing up with a single mother who worked multiple jobs, being raised by my grandparents until I was raising my little brother, right? Having And they look at me like, but look at you. I said, I know exactly. Look at me. Like you wouldn't know that now looking at this, but I had the exact same experiences as you growing up, the exact same ones. So I don't want to hear what you can't do because to me, those are excuses. And I know some people say that, like, I don't want to hear excuses, but maybe if you never had to give those excuses, you don't understand. Like I was literally in your shoes, right? When I celebrated graduation and father's day together, like I get it. Right. So like, I have this perception of who I want my students to be. And it's not just some inflated, you know, stereotypical, like I know because I came from those spaces, I've overcome those obstacles, right? And here I am now. And so I, I, I just, I, I get frustrated and upset when people come into our spaces, whether they look like us or not, and they come into these spaces and they say, well, let's just be understanding. Let's lower the, let's make sure, like stop doing that because you're setting them up for failure. And it upsets me when they label that as equity because I like, that's not equity, you're enabling and we are killing our population. So stop doing it. I gotta slow down sometimes. I'm like, I just keep going. <laughs> so so I, I love what you just shared because what you're sharing with me now is that um, equity isn't a conversation about moving the goalposts. 
So, you know, uh, the grade is supposed to be a 75, but, oh, you know, it's okay for them to make a 70. Uh, you know, and so we, we kind of like, you know, move it down by saying that this is the only thing that they can go and accomplish. Um, but what I hear from you is that, no, uh, we have high expectations for them. And what you've done is you've connected your story. Hey, I was in this situation. My, uh, my mother was a single parent and she worked three jobs. But yet and still, I, I excelled uh, academically. I had a child, uh, you know, in my senior year, had scholarships and all that kind of went out the, you know, the door. But look at me today, right? So I was able to overcome all the, uh, beat all the odds, overcome all this adversity to still make it to this point. So there is absolutely nothing that can stop you um, from being great. And I'm not going to allow low expectations uh, to, to get in your way. Uh, that's equity. And tell me a little bit about why you would say, what's, what's equitable about that? And tell me about the equity work that you do. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think for me, it, it's that idea of saying, you know what, equity isn't about raising the bar. It's about making sure that I'm providing you the tools and the resources needed to be successful in those spaces. Right. It's, and, and I think people don't know sometimes, right. How to do that. Or maybe they're like, man, that's just too much work. I'm just going to lower the bar. Aha. Right. And then we celebrate mediocrity. Right. And it's just like that. That is not what I'm about. That is not who we are. I didn't get to where I am by having people do that to me. I mean, to be honest, if anything else. Right. It was that mindset like he's not going to succeed anyway. Right. And so those bars were set high. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to meet and surpass your bars because I don't need you framing what that is for me. So when I go out into spaces, I think it's it's about having these conversations. First of all, what equity, what equitable practices are, what equitable leadership looks like. And I think that's one of the very first things that we have to have a conversation about is that it's not about moving, like, as you said, moving the goalposts, lowering expectations. We're, we're doing a massive disservice to our students. But instead, it's about having those conversations about saying who's in the space, right? How have they been disserviced? What is it that we need to provide for them in order to be successful without creating dependent learners? Because sometimes we hold hands way, way too much and we don't know how to let go, right? And then when they're on their own, they, they're struggling and floundering. So, you know, creating these systems and structures that to make sure that our students are successful, right? I remember, right? I remember coming into an elementary school and kindergarten graduation was this big thing. I mean, caps and gowns, whole big and I was like, what are we doing? And the parents are like, oh, da, 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 da. the teacher did it. I said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We'll do a little ceremony. We'll say, hey, good job. But guess what? We're not done yet. Let's keep moving. Right. And they're just like, what? And I said, because here's my thing. I'm not taking away from that celebration of that space. But also, like, if that is that big, huge step, like, come on now. Right. I guarantee you. And this is just me. When my daughters were in school, I moved to a whole different neighborhood. So to make sure that they were in the best possible school systems they were. And a lot of the things that we were doing traditionally were not happening because it was an expectation, right? It wasn't a celebration. It's an expectation. So when my students were graduating eighth grade and they were talking about valedictorian salutatorian, I said, no, nah, you're going to wait four more years for that title, right? You're going to work for that title here. We're going to recognize you and we're going to call this thing a continuation ceremony because you're not done yet. You're going to leave here. You're going to go off to high school and you're going to continue being amazing. But this is not the end. This is not a commencement. This is not the end of it. Right. And so for me, I wanted to instill this mindset of let's celebrate. Let's, let's acknowledge the achievements and accomplishments. But there was almost like this terminal mindset that like each step was like, well, this is it. And it's done. And I get it. Like, I get it. Daniel, last year, we lost three students to gun violence. 
right? Like three in a single year. And that's not to mention those who were impacted by gun violence who are still with us, thank God, today, right? So when I saw my students last year sitting at prom and celebrating and going crazy, and I mean just balling on a budget, and some of them I think they went well beyond their budget, but I sat there and I was having a conversation with my wife and I said, you know, I, part of me gets it, right? Because prom is a massive thing when you don't even know if you're going to make it through high school, right? I may not even see my prom. I may not even see my graduation. So yes, we're going to celebrate, but I'm like that. I want us to help to shift that narrative to say, we have to have some higher expectations, right? And when we, and again, for me, it was, if we set those bars low, I got so much pushback in the beginning so much but in in time it became this is our norm right this is who we are we're raising those expectations we're raising those bar i would get people would be upset with me right well you're not just going to let me pass no i'm not just going to let you pass you may not understand this now but you will in the years to come when you're sitting in that college course you will appreciate it you will thank us for that level of rigor and work the expectations that we put you know put forth for you i just it's a frustration for me Right. And, and nobody can ever say like, well, you don't get it because you weren't, I was there. Like I sat in those shoes. I was in the exact same experience, but if those bars were of Lord for me, right. My grandparents never graduated from, I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school, the first person, but there was never ever conversation about, well, are you going to graduate? There was never a conversation about, well, do you want to go to college? Like my grandparents had for me, this, the, it was expectations. It wasn't a maybe. It wasn't an if, it was an expectation. And when you have expectations, those are the things that you live up to. But when you provide me options, when you provide those lower possibilities, guess what? That's what I'm going to shoot for. And so I, I don't know. I just took it away. And that it, it just angers me when people do stuff like that and then call it equity, right? Because like, let's, my students are being successful. I said, in your space, I don't care if they're on the honor roll in your school, but they can't read. I don't care if they're on the honor roll in your school and they got a 14 on the SAT, like, come on now. Like, why are we celebrating that? And you, right, and I talk about Discourse 1 and Discourse 2 all the time, you made that happen. But when your student leaves you and you create all this fake success, this facade, and they leave you and they struggle and they drop out their freshman year, and they, you know, they contribute to the same exact systems that we're trying to defeat, look in the mirror, like, and ask, what did you do? Because that student didn't fail themselves. That didn't happen in a vacuum. That's good. And one of the things that I think is um, amazing about that is because like, when I think about my life, um, my parents did a really, really great job, similar to uh, your grandparents, of realizing um, just what setting expectations can do. So um, we uh, come from a, a sports family. Uh, I mean, everything, football, basketball, baseball, track and field. I mean, we did, I'm from the country in Alabama, so we did anything to get out of the house. <laughs> so with that being said, my parents uh, tied a, an expectation uh, to the things that we love. If you want to uh, play football, basketball, whatever that sports is, you can't make anything less than a B. Now, take this into consideration. My mom or dad never helped me with any homework. My, my entire life, my mom has never sat down and said, two plus two equals four. All right, did you get, never happened. What did they do? Hey, this is what you want out of life? Here's the bar. And without even having all the different, you know, wherewithal and knowing like how I'm going to do this, I'm not the smartest person in the world, in the world 
But at the end of the day, if there's something that I want and this is what it takes in order for me to get that, then this is what I have to understand in order to make that happen. Expectations bring the best out of everybody. And there's nobody out there in the world that cannot live up to expectations when we connect a desire for something else. I believe the missing link in a lot of places, because I go and I speak to a lot of uh, you know, educators, I'm speaking to students, and I ask one question every time I go, when I, especially when I get in front of students or having one-on-ones, hey, um, why is education important to you? And if I'm in a school environment to where multiple students do not have an answer for why is education important, then I understand why we have the issues that we have. You haven't connected this to anything for them. So when you wonder why they don't show up to school, when you wonder why they're not giving their best academically, when you wonder why their behavior is so terrible because they don't want to be in that environment, it's because this doesn't matter to them. My parents, without even having all the education that all these amazing individuals have, they knew one thing. If we can actually connect what he wants, what they want, to something else that happens in his education system, then I know that he will excel. I know that they will excel. Desire plus an expectation. Where is the desire that we've uncovered for every single one of our students? That's a question that I have for a lot of educators. It's a great question. It's a great question. You know, I, I, I think attached to that is that we recognize desire and we, we, we reward the desire without meeting expectation, right? Creating those spaces of then saying, right, making those excuses, right? Well, you know, you need to understand. And, and I, to be honest, again, I get frustrated. Right. Like we're making excuses. We're not right. We're making excuses. We're enabling. Stop putting in this frame of, you know, equity or whatever you're, you're trying to claim it is like. We then we wonder why our students sit in those spaces, right, because they, they they've been conditioned to say, well, I know that's what you said, but I don't really have to. Right. But in the end, I'm still going to get the thing that I want. Right. Like we 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 have to break that cycle. And I, I get it. Like. There, yes, there's going to be pushback. Yes, people are going to be angry, right? Like anybody who all of a sudden you got to actually work, you're going to be angry. But like, hey, you know what? It's going to be the better for everyone in the outcome. And and I guarantee you, your students will rise to the occasion. I've seen it time and time and time again. Like students, families, community, that everyone will gather and rise to the occasion because people want what's best, right? But if I get to have what's best without having to do anything, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. But in, in reality, oftentimes what I don't recognize is the damage that's being done along the way, right? Until it's too late. And then I go back and I say, I wish, I wish, I wish, I should have, would have, could have, right? Like, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sit in a space where my students and families and community are having those conversations about the should have, would have, could have. Like, let's do it now. Let's do the hard work now so we can celebrate that time later on. So a question I have for you, for, for those, for me and for those that are listening, uh, talk to us about some of the successes because you, you are, we're talking about this equity work and, and that we have these high expectations and, oh, it sounds, somebody up there may be saying, you know, that sounds good, Mr. Williams, uh, you know, but where I am, you know, <laughs> maybe it won't work there. Maybe you had some support that I didn't have. So therefore, why your superintendent supported you as a principal, uh, all your, you know, your faculty were bought in, and then all your students love you. I mean, every single one of them. So when you put this initiative out there, Mr. Williams, oh, everybody, it was easy for you to do that. I mean, Chicago is an easy place to work, especially on the West side. So, <laughs> you know, so for anybody, let's say, let's say, for example, we have somebody that 
that has that mindset or is even thinking that, tell me a little bit about like what went into um, the success. What are, what are some of the successes and the work that it took to to create that uh, create that success um, through this equity work that you speak of? Yeah. So, you know, I think the very first thing I want to say is, first of all, it takes time and patience. Right. But I think before you do anything else. Right. I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, August Wilson. And one of his his quotes says, right, like you got to be right with yourself before you can be right with anyone else. So I think a lot of times we come into spaces and we're trying to say, oh, you know what? We got to fix this. We got to do that. We got to do this. But we're trying to do all that hard work before we do the hard work. Like we got to figure out who are we and how are we showing up in spaces before we start to try to work on others. And so I think for me, right, it was figuring out who am I as a school leader so that way I can become grounded in the work that I'm doing. So when the reaction came back, right, when I'm being buffeted by all the negativity, I'm standing firm. Because what we oftentimes see is somebody just jumps in, they're doing these performative actions, right? And that negativity comes and guess what? They're swaying, they're moving, right? That's when those bars start to lower. That's when the expectations start to lower because you're getting pushed back by that, you know, opposition, which is a natural part of this. But if you know who you are and you know the work that you're going to do, you get to stand firm, right? So I think that's, that's one of the very first things. And then you build that up. You have people on your team who believe in those same things. So often than not, I think that we're afraid to push back on people. I used to tell teachers all the time, even my own staff, like this is what we're doing. And like, and if you're not in agreement, if this is not something you're passionate and believe in, then I need you to go. Like, we're just gonna have these conversations. Like, I don't need you sitting here, taking up space, getting a paycheck, not doing the work. Like, and, and kids know, right? I, I'm, I'm not gonna call this staff member out, but I had a conversation with the kid and they were like, man, did he, did he actually work here? Like, I thought he was just stealing paychecks out of the mouth of a child, right? So don't, they, they know, they see the things that are happening. They see you clock in, disappear into your office or into your classroom, and they see you clock back out. And they're like, I haven't seen that person all day. I don't know that person. We've had no interactions or engagement. So I think the second part of that is building up your group of people, your crew to say, this is what we believe in, right? And then you just start creating some of those systematic changes. It's important to talk about the hows and the whys, right? And then you 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 hold firm. You have the non-negotiables. You have the conversations about how we're going to get there, right? But I think those crucial pieces are there. So I will tell you this, that when I first came in, so at my last school, when I came in, right? Something they didn't tell me when I came in. I, I came in as new principal. They had three principals before me, right? I came in. And they were like, oh, by the way, the school is slated to be shut down. I was like, well, you could have said that before I took the job. But, you know, <laughs> like, so I'll be honest. In the beginning, I did all that textbook stuff, right? Like, I, we changed the curriculum. We brought in all, like, we did all the things. And I swore we were going to we gonna move the needle. End of the year came nothing, right? In fact, I think we dropped a little bit. I, I had to sit in front of the school board. And I was like, look, like, I'm, I'm begging you, please. Like, first of all, right, I did the... It's only my first year. Give me time. Like all these things. They said, okay, you got two years. Research shows it takes at least five to make, you know, these types of shifts. I was given two. Went back to the drawing board. And what we figured out was that it wasn't about the curriculum. It wasn't about the programs and all these things. What happened was our people were not happy. My students didn't feel safe in the building. They didn't feel loved on. They didn't feel heard. My staff didn't feel included. Right. And that became our focus. How do we pour into our people? How do we love on our people? How do we make sure that they are receiving what they need to be successful? And that's when I adopted the mindset of, I'm going to take care of my teachers so they can take care of their students, 
right? I don't need you to worry about the district or the board or all these other people. I've got you, right? As long as you do what you're supposed to do, I've got you. I just need you to come in every single day. Your focus, your energy has to be poured into these students, right? I don't need you worrying about all this other stuff. If you promise me you got that, I promise you I've got you. And we created this space. I kid you not, we are had one of the highest attendance ratings in the entire city. We went from like somewhere in the 80s to about 97%. And people were asking me, like, what did you do, right? Now, because suddenly, after we came off that warning list and we started moving up the ranks, then suddenly people wanted to talk to me when I came into district meetings, right? All of a sudden, it's like, I'm still the same guy. But anyway, like, it was like, what is your secret? Like, it's not a secret. And I don't want it to be a secret, right? We poured into our people. We made sure that they had what they needed. Right. And I think that when you started doing that, what we started doing is that people then believed in themselves. Right. Because my expectations never changed. I just simply said, look, that bar is still here. But what do you need? How can I help you get to that space? Right. And I was a man of my word. So many times leaders say things like that. Oh, you can try and fail. But then when you fail, you're getting docked. When you fail, you're getting kicked out. Right. I said, no, you failed. All right, cool. What do we learn from that? How do we grow? What do we what do we get rid of? What do we hold on to? Right. Let's keep it moving. And as people started believing in themselves, the teachers believed in them, they believed in the students, the students believed in themselves, right? We, we just continued rising up, right? And we went from one of the lowest tiers in the district to about the, I think it was like the second from the highest tier. I mean, we, we had math ratings at, at the 80th percentile. Like it was incredible. And it wasn't because we adopted a new curriculum. It wasn't because we adopted some new instructional pedagogy. It was simply because I poured into my people and loved on them and they started believing in themselves as much as I believed in them. Right. And so I, I get it. Right. People are going to say, well, ah, uh, you know, it sounds great. Like this isn't some, you know, freedom riders movie, right? This isn't a lean on me. Like this is real life, but it's possible. It is possible. And that all I can say is if you believe you set that bar high and you make sure that your people have the tools, the resources, whatever it is that they need, you pour into them, you love on them, they're going to do it, right? I, I, I always dislike that, the, the comment that students learn from people they like, right? We talk about relationships, we talk about rapport, and people are like, well, they're learning from you because they like you. And I said, maybe, right? But I don't think a student comes in and says, I want to impress my teacher. My belief is I've created a safe space. Learning is hard. Learning comes with struggles. Learning comes with inevitable failures. But if I know that I can fail in your space because you've got me, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to do what I need to do in order to actually engage in authentic learning and make it out through the other side. But when I don't feel safe, when I don't feel supportive, everything that I do is going to be performative and I'm never going to learn. Same thing for staff, same thing for students. And so I tell my school leaders, you got to do the same thing for your staff because they're never going to learn and grow. Today, I was coaching two of my coaches for a... a a session a PD that we're doing with our staff tomorrow. And they were like, they're looking at each other. I could tell they were nervous. I said, what, what's up? And they're like, so I don't think we need you. We don't need you in there for PD. And they were like, is that okay? And I was like, no, that means I'm doing my job, right? Like, because the, now they're to a point to say, we feel confident enough that we're going to be able to do this work, right? You've, you've coached us there. You've guided us there. You've given us what we, we don't need you anymore. That's perfect. That's beautiful. Right. So it's possible. I just I think we get so we're so nervous right, about the pushback, about the negativity that we rather take the easy route. Right. But again, like I said, at the onset of this, 
then we wonder why nothing ever changes. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I love is that you uh, you have similar expectations for your um, students than you do for your staff. It's not, hey, I have expectations for uh, my staff, um, but then not expectations for my students. Uh, you know, is that I ask expectations for my students, but not for my staff. No, like we, we have an environment to where um, this is just a culture. You know, this is just what we do. And it, it's a part of who we are. And I, I love the fact that um, in an environment to where everybody um, believes that this is just what we do, um, it's crazy uh, what the things that can that can take place uh, rise to you know the ninety seventh percentile um, as it rate, uh, relates to attendance. Well, how in the world can we do that? People want to be here. Um, the eightieth percentile when it comes to you know math scores, ELS scores, whatever whatever it was that you mentioned there. Wait a minute, what were you doing? It's not. Like you said, it's not pedagogy. It's not you know a certain curriculum. Um, it's all about who are you. And the very first thing that you mentioned as, as it relates to the, uh, as you call it, the secret sauce. Uh, it ain't really a secret because you're giving it away right now. Uh, but it's like I had to identify who I wanted to be as a leader. So to everybody out there, what is what are your core principles? Uh, you know what is, what are those things that no matter if it's Monday. Uh, through Friday, uh, whether it's on the weekend, you know, because you're not, you don't live by a different course set of principles on the weekend than you do during the week. Uh, what about during the summer? No, this is this is who I am. If you know exactly who you are, um, and everybody encounters that authenticity, uh, then it just permeates and uh, through everything that you do. Uh, so, man, I I love um, I love what you share uh, for the simple fact that it's not theory. It's uh, you can tell the proof is in the pudding. Uh, and so, man, uh, thank you so much for everything that you've done and for everything that you've uh, shared with us today. A question I have for you as we're getting ready to, uh, you know, kind of land this pl uh, plane and wind down. Tell me this to those individuals out there that are saying, OK, you said that, you know, set the high expectations. All right. You said that, you know, I, I got to uh, understand what it uh, what it means uh, for me to be a leader at my core. I, I got to know what I'm standing on. I got to have a firm foundation of what that is. Now I got my expectations uh, for, you know, my uh, leaders. I got my expectations uh, for my students. We ain't even talking about parents here, but let's say we got high expectations for them too. All right. So, so, I, so I got this, um, you know, kind of set. Um, man, it's tough to live that out. Think about that in an environment where the expectations are high for everybody, including myself, man, it's hard to continue to do that. We have individuals that are are leaving education um, from, from a teacher standpoint. Teacher retention is a challenge across the nation. Um, you even have now to where uh, administrator retention uh, seems to also you know be going on a negative trend as well. Um, tell me how can raising the expectations actually be great for retention not only of um, teachers um, it's also great for students but it's also great for administrators because it's the right environment and people desire to be there so you know i, I think as, as i was mentioning like uh, you know at the, at the building right when you have a space that you want to be in right i mean i'll, I'll it was a, an environment that was just buzzing with with this positivity, with this energy, with the success, like 
it, it was a beautiful, beautiful space, right? So again, I think the attendance rating attested to that. Like, I want to be there now, right? So I think when you set those high expectations, and and I will say this, it doesn't kick off right away. I think a lot of times what leaders are afraid of, and I've had this conversation, is that when you set that bar, oftentimes you're going to see a dip, right? And it's that dip that freaks people out that I revert, right? Because I might see my student population drop off because some students are like, nah, we're, we're, we're not doing this, right? Parents are like, oh, you doing too much, taking their kids out. Like, that's fine. Because if you can't live up to this, then I don't need you to be here. Right. And I keep having that conversation like this is going to be a space where people are willing to do the work to raise up to that bar. Right. And so people will filter themselves out, staff, students, parents, like they're going to filter themselves out and it's going to hurt. And people might look at you crazy and say, well, what's happening at your school? Right. But you have to believe enough. Right. In that expectation to say this is what we're setting the bar. Right. And I guarantee you. All of a sudden, you're going to have this upward tick. All of a sudden, you're going to have this upward trend, and it's going to surpass where you thought it was going to be, right? But people want, I should say, most people want to be in those types of spaces. The problem is not a lot of people want to do the work, right? Somebody, I, I was talking to somebody earlier, and they were like, they want what it looks like, but they don't want what it feels like. Right. They, they want those outcomes, but they don't want to do the work. They don't want to do do. Right. You, you it, it gets frustrating because we live in a world of instant gratification. Everybody just thinks it's like this. Right. We, we are inundated with social media, with all the outcomes, but we don't see the things that happened before that. Right. And so whenever we encourage any type of struggle, we want to give up. So for me. Right. Those people watching this right now, setting those high bars, setting those high expectations. That's the, that part's easy. Right. It's that initial dip. It's holding through. It's staying strong and right in that trajectory. Because I, again, I guarantee you, if you set that bar high and you can't just set it high, you have to make sure that the people get what they need to get to that space, right? And I question myself all the time, every single other day. At the end of the day, I ask myself, did I do all that I could to make sure that my people had what they needed to be successful, right? And if I could walk out of my building. If I could lay my head down at night and know that I gave them all that I could, then I'm okay with that. But if I know that, hey, you know what? I didn't give them what they needed, but then somehow I'm upset because they didn't get to where they needed to be. Shame on me, right? Because I need to make sure that you have the tools, the resources, the capacity, all those things in order to get there. Like it doesn't, again, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I will say this at the end, if you take care of your people, your people take care of people, your people, right? That's all you got to do. Just pour into each other, make sure that everybody has what they need, and you're going to get to where you need to be. Yeah, man, that's good. Um, I got one more question um, uh, to end this out, but I want to uh, kind of share something with you that's an illustration of that. And you may have heard this. Uh, one of the things that um, it was a video that was showing um, the Asian students, you mentioned that kind of um, earlier in this, which is why I want to reference this. Uh, they were kind of uh, trying to see why uh, this Asian population is particular. Um, data set were excelling more when it, as it related to like math scores. And uh, one of the things that they did is they examined uh, like U.S. classrooms and uh, classrooms, uh, you know, abroad. Uh, they realized that uh, in the classrooms abroad, they gave the wrong answers more than they gave the right answers. So what they did was they, uh, let's say two plus two, they would say two plus two was seven. And they would have to struggle more to figure out, like, wait a minute, hold on, how in the world, I, I have two and two, and this is four, 
So since they had to struggle more, they grew more. Since the expectations were a little bit higher uh, for them, uh, it it what was it catapulted their growth and and all of that. So, um, but in uh, I think it was like forty percent of their time in their classrooms, um, it was like a, it was a struggle moment. But in like U.S. classrooms, they struggled. Let's say let's say five percent or ten percent of the time, and that struggle like a muscle because it was a, under a little bit more pressure. They grew uh, exponentially. So in the same time, it's same with those expectations, right? If we can um, like stretch them more, um, any everybody, if the more that we stretch, the more that we grow and develop. And that's the thing that I love about what you what you've shared. It shows that it's a true statement. If you are stretched, then growth will be a byproduct of that. So man, this has been uh, an amazing conversation. Uh, we end all of our segments on this um, Better Days Ahead. And what that is, that's an opportunity for our guests, uh, whether you have a mantra, whether you have any words of encouragement, uh, quotes, whatever it may be, uh, for all of our educators, administrators, and individuals that will listen to and watch this podcast, what do you have to share with us for that uh, there are better days ahead and just to encourage them along their journey? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I often talk about is that, you know, there's a lot of things that we can be in education. And I think, again, I talked about social media, right? We're always watching TikTok and Instagram and all these things. There's a lot of different things that you can be, right? But at the end of the day, the most important thing, the best thing that you could possibly be is to be true to you, right? I talked about this already. Know who you are. Sit in that space. Be true to you. Don't chase the, you know, the, the ships that by stars, all of those phrases. You know, you could look at it in a lot of ways, but just know who you are. Be true to you, and you're and you're going to be just fine. I love it. I love it. So we end with that, um, with the advice that we just received. Uh, know who you are. Uh, be confident in who you are, and stay true to who you are. Uh, what it say? Everybody else is already taken. <laughs> so the best thing that you can be is to be yourself. And I do think that there are sometimes we're challenged in this world. Why? What is the imposter syndrome? Looking left and looking right. Um, but the best way that you can look is straight ahead and stay in your lane. Uh, Mr. Williams, Charles Williams, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, this has been a joy for us to have. Uh, man, I can't wait until we can do this again. Uh, this is another segment of the Mindset on Resilience podcast. Uh, we're out. Thank you. <music>